Your friends gathered. I've had a love affair with food since the day I was born. Anyone with me? That's why I love living in the Chicago area. Uh, there are plenty of great uh, restaurants to visit and plenty of great food to eat. It's why I love Fat Tuesday. Uh, did anyone have a punchki? Did I pronounce it right? Uh, that, that richer dough, um, that, that wonderful deliciousness, right? It's wonderful. And because of the way God built me, I think I, I readily experience what I call food euphoria. For me, I can sink my teeth into something, close my eyes, and be transcended to a different level. All because of the mix of sugar and butter and flour. I mean, I can get there really, really quickly uh, with the right foods. It's the way God built me. It's also the reason when I eat um, some other things, uh, like broccoli, my body convulses. As a 37-year-old, I can't stop shaking because it tastes so bad. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a nutritionist. <laughs> and, and all because of the way God built me is why I will never forget this one week I had at a camp called Camp Philip. Now, this is a camp in the North Woods, Wisconsin. It's a great time for young kids to explore outdoors and live in a cabin. And obviously, whenever I go somewhere, the thing I'm looking forward to most is lunch. And so I'll never uh, forget trying to get my, my whole cabin to the lunch line first. I don't know if I was a leader, but I was compelled by my stomach. So we got to be first, right? Because if you're first in line and ready to go, that's who gets lunch first. And I'll never forget, you know, how they kind of prepared things. Um, you know, if you were there first, you get the best of, of what's there, the, the best entrees and the desserts. And, and I'm not sure if it was different in my day, but it seemed like less funding that if you were the last one, everything was picked over. You didn't get the entree and the dessert that you wanted. So I, I readily went up and I got there first, right, with the rest of the comforts. Come on, it's lunchtime. And it's also why I'll never forget one cabin leader we had. That no matter how quickly we all got there and how fast I was, for the whole week he made us be the last cabin to get lunch. And as I was at the height of my dejection as a young boy and holding back tears because I'm a foodie, <laughs> I would hear this line, well, don't you know, campers, the first shall be last in the kingdom of God. And at that point, I'm not sure I want to be in the kingdom of God then. The first shall be last in the kingdom of God. And there was a feeling attached to letting others go first. And ah, a tiny death. Uh, this isn't fair. And it's a feeling maybe you've had when others went ahead of you. Maybe it was a, a long plane ride and they had two entree options. And by the time they got to you, there was only one. And you wanted the chicken that's no longer available. Maybe for you, it is standing um, in the grocery line and they open up a new aisle, but you're in the middle, so you can't go to that first one even though you have the right and now someone else swoops in. Ah! Whenever we see others go before us, there's this feeling, this burning, this ah! There's that feeling I want to talk to you today about. It's a feeling that I would define as humiliation, and I want to define the terms. When I'm talking about humiliation, I'm not talking today about being made fun of. I'm not talking about being embarrassed, um, not put in the corner, you know, with a dunce cap on, none of that. Rather, to define the terms, this is what I mean by the word humiliation. That very simply, it's accepting that you can come before me. 
that you get to go. Your preference, your way, your idea, your lunch before mine. And the reason I want to talk about this is because, well, we're found in the church of God, and I love God's word. I love the perspective that he gives us. And I want to welcome you, by the way. Maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're new to this place. And um, one of the things that you should know about Christianity is he wants us to embrace you before me. Now, I'm not sure he wants every, you know, cabin to embrace going last for lunch. Still not over it. Um, but, but I do believe uh, that you before me is a very key concept. Uh, for example, uh, a Christ follower named Paul, he wrote this to believers. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, you, you might be really reserved and say, well, I'm not sure if I want to be part of this, if this is the kingdom of God. But, but it's so good to be here. I would say it's so good to be in the kingdom, so good to be in the family. And so maybe better is to talk a little bit about the benefits of this kind of humiliation and also how we might get there. So that's what I'd like to discuss with you in our time together. The benefits of this kind of thing and how we might possibly get there. So we're in a new series called All the Fields. Raise your hand if you know what it means when someone says they have all the fields. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and really it means you're experiencing a lot of emotion. It's, it's the new way of saying that something evokes emotion. Uh, certain shows are on TV that, that show you all the feels. Uh, if you've ever seen This Is Us, that's a show with all the feels. There's a reason to cry almost every episode. If you're a Blackhawks fan, you probably had all the feels when this happened. Lots of joy. This is just what happens. And, and fireworks, for that matter. Um, all the feels. And, and what's interesting and what we consider on Ash Wednesday, do you know that if God made you to be an emotional creature, your emotions are a gift from God. Do you realize that? The, the idea that he allows you to experience highs and even lows are a gift. The highs tell you all, all, all the benefits, you know. The lows tell us maybe something is wrong and, and, and perspective. They are tremendous gift from God. We live in a culture that I don't know if they understand that at all. I think many people would want to flatline it through life, if they could. Say, I'd, I'd just be rid of emotion completely. But I do believe God built you to experience a different emotion on the day you're wedded and on the day you say goodbye to someone you love. That that shouldn't be a flatline kind of thing. But I'd be quick to say that emotions, while they are a gift from God, maybe need to be managed through the lens of God. Managed through what God says about how the world is operating, about how we should operate while feeling such strong feelings. And we experience this as we look at the life of Jesus. So Jesus was made to be an emotional creature. And as we follow him on his journey to the cross, what we'll see is, is that he had the, the full array of all the feels. That he was sad and angry he, he knew what honor was and also humiliation, as we talk about. He, he knew what betrayal felt like and abandonment felt like. He had all of the feels. And so one of the most phenomenal things you can hear from God is that if you ever felt a certain way, he, he says to you, yeah, me too. I know that one. I was made just like you. We have a God with all the 
feels. And today, what do we see him feel? Humiliation. Today is probably his biggest you-before-me moment. It's him washing the stinky feet of his disciples. Are you ready for this? So we're going to get into John, and this happens on Monday, Thursday. Uh, They're in the upper room about to celebrate the Passover. This is also when he's going to uh, institute the Lord's Supper. And uh, the next day, he gives his life for his disciples on the cross. But before he does, he washes their feet to set an example. Um, Our reading is from John. Feel free to follow along, worship folder or on the screen. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's beautiful. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. You have to admire his passion, even though he's off point. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. What are you doing? Their whole body's clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed, not if you just know them, not if you just consider them, not if you just pray about doing this activity, but if you actually do it. The powerful word of God. Could you encourage your neighbor by telling him something? It's it's kind of long-winded. Are you ready for this one? So you can participate if you want or not. Um... You start out by saying, metaphorically speaking, metaphorically speaking, I want to wash your feet. (laughs) See how I led with the metaphor? I was thinking of not just like I want to wash your feet and then, do you know what I'm saying? And it kind of all reminded me of Mr. Deeds, if you've ever seen that movie and I want to touch your feet, but anyway. You know, when it comes to life, there are certain things that are just foundational, you know, going forward in life. Uh, For example, I've taken FPU a a few times, Financial Peace University, and what I'd call a foundational truth of that is a budget. If you have a budget, track a budget, use a budget, it will help you in a lot of different areas financially, open a world of opportunities. Um, I was considering another foundational truth as I was reading a wonderful book called Joining Jesus on His Mission. Now, this was a book all about how God is already working in the lives of people around you, and that you don't have to do anything for Jesus, just join Him in having conversation and in getting to know them and in loving them and then maybe, you know, using the word to point them to Jesus. It is really, really neat. 
But in this style of evangelism, we call it, you, you need to talk to people. And he brought up this concept, well, what if you don't know how to talk to people? And what if you're an introvert? And what if this doesn't come naturally to you? And that's when he laid down a foundational truth. That if you realize you don't know how to talk to people, and maybe there's a young man who someday wants to get a date in here, if you don't know how to talk to someone, you know, you know the key? Ask questions. That's all you need to do. Ask questions. Because what happens is that genuinely people want to talk about themselves when they find someone who's listening. So if you ask questions, this will open a world of opportunities for you to converse with almost anyone. So good. Right? Well, I bring this up because what we're considering today, this idea of you before me and humiliation, is what I find a key to the kingdom of God. And that is the first takeaway. As I was considering what we were uh, about to discuss this morning, my mind was racing uh, about how this concept ties together so many uh, scriptural truths, so many um, of the ideas and the intent that God has for us in, in the way that we walk, in the way that we live, in the way that we follow him. In fact, my mind was racing so much that I think I could write a book just on this concept of you before me. But, but for your sake, I had to boil it down to at least three areas where I think this is really important. So, so I wanted to give you at least three areas where you before me is vitally important. You ready? So if you're taking notes, the first area that I think this is so important is leadership. Leadership. That, that if you are in a position of influence, if you have people looking up to you, if, if, if you uh, are able to make big decisions... This idea of you before me is critical. But it reminds me also of how we get a misconception of what leadership looks like in this world. That many times we don't see this example so often. Is that fair? In fact, I was having a conversation with one of my buddies who is um, from China, um, was there for a while, and then had friends from China come to the, the States. And, and while they were here, his friends saw a picture of this lesson, of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And they were so astonished by this idea of leadership, that the one in control, that leader, would stoop down so low. And my friend was telling me that the biggest thing they took away from all their experience in the United States was servant leadership. That this was nothing they'd experienced, that the people in power usually use that power against others but Jesus did it differently. It reminds me of a conversation I had uh, with a husband who is new to marriage and who had heard, yes, I need to be a leader, and he had this idea that leader was just shot caller, that whatever I say goes and I get to make the orders and bark it out and da-da-da-da-da, and it was like, ugh. Anyway, so I, I had to like reframe this discussion a little bit, and, and we went to Ephesians 5. And Ephesians 5 says, yes, you have that position, but look how you should use it. It says, husbands, love your wives just as, say this word, just as, so the husband is to be Jesus. Do you know what Jesus does for the church? It goes on. He gives himself up for her. So in this meeting, what I was about to tell him is, yes, you are to be a leader who is the lead servant. That in your marriage... If anyone's up to serve, guess who's up to serve? You are. If anyone's up to give more, guess who's required to give more? You are. 
If anyone is asked to die for their bride, you are. That's how far Jesus went for the church. The church doesn't always go that far for Jesus, but this is leadership. And so Jesus changes the game when it comes to leaders. And he basically tells you that the higher you are, the lower you should be willing to go. In fact, I'd give you a word of caution that if you are in a position of influence, if you are in a position where other people are looking up to you and you're a shot caller to any degree, if you do not embrace this concept, it is very possible you're doing more harm than you are doing good. Second area. The second area where I think this is so important is that of forgiveness. Forgiveness is key to the Christian faith. Jesus was willing to forgive any and all of your sin. Any skeleton in the closet, anything you've done today, anything you do in the future, he he paid for it through his blood. But Jesus from the cross and all that he did for you says, go and do likewise, just as I forgave you, so you forgive those around you. You forgive whatever has been done. Now, it's not only Jesus who thinks this is a good idea. Uh, It's interesting that in this world, studies have shown um, that for mental health, forgiveness is a core idea. I I was reading from um, the APA or uh, American Psychology Association. Look what they've seen just from an earthly standpoint. Research has shown that forgiveness is linked to mental health outcomes, such as reduced anxiety, depression, major psychiatric disorders, as well as with fewer health symptoms and lower mortality rates. So even if you're not a Christ follower, this should be something you consider because forgiveness is key. But how do you ever get there? And why do you even want to? If you do not embrace you before me. How do we ever absorb that debt? And fight to make it right if I don't allow you before me. Well, the final area that I think this is so important and it is probably the trump card is trust in, in God. So if you're taking notes, these are the three, but the last one is so important. If you're going to walk with God, how do you truly trust him if you don't allow your faith to say you before me. See, more and more we live in a society that wants to sit in judgment over what God is doing. Have you experienced this? We have conversations with people who say, well, if I was God, I would do X, Y, and Z, and and I have no idea why he's not doing things the way I see them. I have no idea why he doesn't do as I do. I have no idea, and we want to sit in place of God. But what if we just embrace you before me when it comes to our relationship with him? Is it possible it's then? Is it possible that this will be the key for you to trust a God even when you don't understand what's going on? Because you hear him say, my my ways, they're not your ways. Is it possible then in your journey when you come across something that you just don't understand, like it doesn't make sense to you, it's not logical, it's beyond you, Is it possible that if you embrace you before me, it's then you'll finally embrace, you know what, your thoughts, they're not my thoughts. Is it possible if you embrace this, you'll accept words like this, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time and finally be okay with his timing and not your own. But how do you get there unless you embrace you before me? 
Do you see how critical it is? And we've just scratched the surface. And it'd be easy right now to take notes and do a, a good head nod. Yes, Pastor, I got something to work on. And I could tell you this is really much more easy it is to preach than practice. But here's, can, can I be real? There is in all of us this camper who is standing at the very end of lunch watching all of the other campers go ahead of him. And in all of us at this moment, there's this voice that's crying out, but that's unfair and I don't want to. Do you have that voice? And so what do we do? Because the reality is sometimes to make life work, it's not even compromise, it's a death to your way. And what do you do when in order to go forward, it's death to your way so that someone else can have theirs? The reality of forgiveness is it's not about justifying your side, but it's about going forward to do whatever it is to make a situation right in a marriage, in a friendship, uh, whatever that is. And how do you get there? And here's the answer. You come here, or you pick up the word, and you look at Jesus. And you see the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who made all things. Everything is from him and for him. And you see the King of kings wrap on himself an apron, which is still subservient today. And you see him get down and wash the stinky feet of his disciples. And while he's washing the stinky feet of his disciples, he looks up to you during your moment, during that feeling, when, when you let him go. And he looks up to you and he says, Yeah, I've been there. I know this one. I know exactly how that feels. But more, you watch him go to the cross. Watch him go to the cross and hear the creatures condescend their creator. Hear the creatures cry out, he saved others, let him save himself if he's a son of God. And you know that in this moment, he could wipe them out and he could sew their mouths shut. But you know what's better? Better is to see him hanging there, looking you dead in the face and say, you have that feeling? I know that one. You before me is the only reason I stay up here. You before me is the only reason I give my life. Yeah, we got to look at Jesus and understand the Savior's love that it goes that far, that it bears that much, that it is that good. Tell me who is more beautiful. Tell me who is greater. Tell me who gave more than Jesus. Did you, do you have anyone? Because I don't. He loved you before you could ever love this way. And yet his love is not only our peace, it is our example. Go and do this. Go and be this. You know, this account it reminds me of my mother-in-law. I have to clarify this. Don't worry, I love my mother-in-law. If you meet my mother-in-law... Um, You'd be amazed at the way that God built her and the gifts that God gave. My mother-in-law, if you're playing Trivial Pursuit with her and you're not on her team, prepare to lose. 
Uh, my mom went to college with my mother-in-law and was always astounded by her brilliance. She would tell me, Dustin, wow, she was really smart. My mother-in-law is an artist. If you need some home decorating tips, um, if you want a, a good drawing, you go to my mother-in-law, and, and she'll have some good tips and ideas. My mo- mother-in-law is a musician. If, if you want to hear good music, you need to meet my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is a type of person that I, I talk to people a lot, and, and sometimes I talk to young people, and I say, that's a person who can write their script. Do you know what I'm saying when I use that expression? It's a type of person, based on how God built them, could do whatever they wanted, Right? Because God had not limited them in in giftedness. But then I look back at my mother-in-law's life, and and she's retired now. And I look back at this period where for a bulk of her life, she was not CEO. The bulk of her life, she was not a remodeler. She was a stay-at-home mom. She was one who traded a degree for dirty diapers and coworkers for a colicky baby. And I know that in that moment, that, that couldn't feel good. <laughs> there were days where, like, what, what is going on? And, and, and all the gifts that God gave her. Um, and, and it's not always easy, you know, being selfless, right? In, in any degree. But now that she's retired, I look at what her kids have done, her seven children. And, and you have a pastor, if you've ever seen your time of grace. And you have a president of a charter school system. And you have a leadership guru at Google. And you have an architect who's a creative. And you have a leadership guru. And you have another wonderful stay-at-home mom. And you have the best preschool director and the most beautiful girl in the world. <laughs> because of my mother-in-law. And what I found is this phrase rings true. That your greatest gift to the world may not be something you knew, but someone you raise. And what I found is kind of a principle of, of what it is to accept humiliation and the benefit. That when it comes to humiliation, it probably will not feel great in the moment. When, when you are changing those diapers and you're just trying to get food on the table and clothes on their backs, it probably does not feel great in the moment. But time will prove its greatness. Back to Jesus. Could Jesus write his own script at this point? King of kings and Lord of lords? John starts off by telling us this. Do you know in verse 2, he says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. All things. So right now, there is no greater earthly authority. When he goes to Pilate, Pilate is a puppet on his string. All things, when the sun turns dark, it's only because the Creator said, stop shining. All things, he's in charge of all things. And then you think of what he would do with all things if he were you and I. If I was in charge of all things, I would wipe out the enemies, I would get my own and establish my throne. That's what I would do with all things. But there's this dichotomy of all things and then what he does. So he's in charge of all things, and what does he do? got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. That's a crazy dichotomy. The one in charge of all things. And here's something about washing feet. You're usually the servant to the servants if you're the feet washer. There is no lower position. And and you consider feet in that day. They're not resting comfortably in Jordans. They're in open-toed sandals, traversing a road where animals traverse, doing what animals do. This is a stinky job. And so what we know of this act is that it cannot feel great in the moment. There's absolutely no way. These are feet, people. 
But time has proved the greatness of this example, hasn't it? Time has proved that what Jesus did here shaped his church and his people. To the degree that when leaders went out and they started uh, leading the church, you had a man named Paul who said, you can't pay me, that's fine. I'll work full-time as a tent maker. I'll give the gospel as free because it's you before me. When there were Christians in Jerusalem who couldn't have enough and didn't have enough, the other Christians then said, we're going to take a collection and, and we're going to make sure you have enough because you're in the family. And, and, and anyway, it's because you before me. And now to this day, if you've ever experienced the generosity of a Christ follower or the kindness of a Christ follower or, or a shining example, it's probably because they embrace this example and they have illustrated you before me. And what I know about this is that it will not feel good in the moment. I don't think it was supposed to if you have all the feels. But when you look back at your life, or through the perspective of just a few years. I'm not sure there'll be anything you're more thankful of than those times when your life said you before me. When you helped someone. When you made a difference. When you were willing to sacrifice yourself for the good of someone else. That's how powerful it is. One final thought on the benefits of this. And to bring this up, I wanted to talk about the Hoover Dam. Anyone ever been here? If you've been to Vegas, you've probably seen the Hoover Dam. and um, It's an amazing accomplishment. Because of the Hoover Dam, the Colorado River irrigates 1.5 billion worth of crops. It provides 30 million people its power and provides most of Vegas its drinking water because of a reservoir of water that it's collected. The, the Hoover Dam is an amazing accomplishment, but it came at a cost. Built in the 1930s for uh, the equivalent of $660 million in our money. But also one of those costs was the people who died, who gave their lives to make this happen. 213 people died. Now, conspiracies would say that some of them who died were actually buried in the concrete here. Uh, Snopes has proved that that's probably a conjecture. But 213 people gave their lives, and perhaps no one gave more than the Turney family. John Turney was a rock miner, and in 1924, he set out to uh, work on the Hoover Dam. And the Colorado River was known for being a raging river, and in one day was swept away by that raging river. Now, his family was devastated, and his son Patrick was 12 at the time. They moved back to Missouri, where Patrick started his own family. But during the Great Depression, he needed to find income for his family. During the Great Depression, Patrick had to say, well, it's you before me, and now... Again, I, I need to provide. And he had no other ideas but to go back to this project, saying, well, maybe they remember my name. And maybe they'll give me a job and, and throw me a bone. And they did. But Patrick, one day as he was in a tower 30 stories tall, fell. He gave his life. And these are two people who they say died to make the desert bloom. A family who basically said, you before me. And I consider what it was to be Patrick, to go back to the place where my father died, out of love for my family. What a marvel to say again, you before me. But then I consider how most things are done today. 
And then if you want to be part of something bigger than yourself, you usually have to take yourself out of the equation. If you really want to make a difference, it can't be about you. And that's why we see Jesus do what he does. So this is the week before he dies, and Jesus is going to the cross. And John stated beautifully what he was doing here. He said, having loved his own who were in the world, he would love them to the end. But in order to love them to the end, the king of kings would say, this is not about my safety. This is not about what I want. This is not about what makes me feel good. And so the writer of the Philippians, uh, Paul, reminds us, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What is the Hoover Dam compared to the salvation of the world? And yet it would have never happened if Jesus didn't take ego out of the equation, if he didn't embrace you before me. What's your opportunity, friend? My opportunity? It's to live this way. One of the reasons I'm thankful to be a pastor is because I have an opportunity to do something that's bigger than me. One of the reasons I love the mission of our church, which is reaching the lost, is because this is something bigger than me. And the opportunity to go forward embracing the spirit of Jesus. But when you feel this way, the unfairness of what it is to burn or say it's unfair Please look at Jesus. Be inspired by his example, and may the greater works of God be accomplished through us, but for him. Amen.